Welcome back to Absurdity. I am, as always, joined by my, by my beautiful and handsome. Yeah, he's both. That's right. I, I'm gonna say you're tri- you're so overwhelmed. You're tripping over your words right now. That's Just- right. I mean, you never wear a button up on this on this show. So well, I am- once I knew you were cutting footage and it's going on YouTube every week. I had to prepare my game. That's right. I uh, that actually reminds me. I am trying very intentionally to up the social media game. Um, doing a lot more on the education side with content creation and uh, encouragement as well. So if if you're someone who wants to hear more of the advice that I want to give, you can go check out my Instagram, uh, and I'll link to it in the show notes as well. Or if you want to get one-on-one coaching from me for content creation and brand strategy, uh, there you can just email me or you can sign up to be a Patreon uh, patron on Patreon. Uh, $30 a month gets you an hour per month with me. So uh, I am excited to to be launching that and and to see who signs up for that. So you can go check those two things out if you are uh, wanting any sort of further further advice and and further connection with me. That's the way to do it. Uh, Instagram also, is free. So I'm gonna say, and also sneak peek for those of you who are Patreons for absurdity or want or have been thinking about it. There are some exciting things coming down the pike. We've done a lot of changes on the back end of the platform. And I, I know Ryan and I are discussing ways that could do, but if you become a patron, there, we might soon be launching a tier level where you could sit in when we record these, like as part of a live internet audience. Imagine watching us go crazy live. And then being able to interact with us at the same time. So we Yeah, you we could to, be you could be sending chat messages. We'd be seeing it come up on the screen. Like, yeah, we get know, to we tech. get to tell you how ridiculous you're being and how wrong you are, and you only can chat with us, so no yeah, one actually you could, hears you. You know any of your rebuttals. Yeah, you could actually boo my puns live. Can you imagine? Let, ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you, there is no greater experience in life than booing <laughs> Henry's <laughs> puns live. Boo! There's not. There's no greater joy that I have ever experienced. That's uh, why. And that's he, speaking his, as a Christian, his, it's I right say, up his, there. His go-to phrase, his Christian phrase, is "I hate you." For long-time right. listeners of the show, you'll know. That's right. It's every every after every pun, <laughs> I hate you. Um, speaking of hate, by the way, Henry, today is a not so great, uh, not so happy topic. Um, and honestly, every time that this stuff happens, I really do hate talking about it. And man, you move that transition in like voter restriction laws in Georgia. <laughs> well, you know me. Um, <laughs> Once uh, I grew up in a conservative uh, household, so you know, once a conservative, not always, but it can uh, those those things those things stick around sometimes. But no, I I mean, we are talking about the mass shooting in Atlanta today. Um, I know we're a couple weeks late on this, and I want to personally apologize for that. I normally I try to be quicker about this stuff. I. I mean, I can actually just be straight up honest and say I didn't actually know about it until basically two days after, two or three days after, because I've been so drowning at work, being understaffed in the middle of travel season and in the middle of, uh, I work at a university, so a ton of campus visits coming in at the same time. Just I basically would go to work, get home, sleep for three hours, wake up, shower, and then go back to sleep for the night. It was really actually really rough on me last week so um and and for the last actually for the last month and so i'm just now coming out of that season and uh really really wanting to hit some of this stuff hard so i, I first of all i just want to apologize and i know listeners don't really care but i grew up in an environment with or especially in, throughout high school with a lot of asian american friends um and my heart really does hurt and did hurt for them when I found out about this. And I was so wrapped up in my own world, which speaks to part of the problem, uh, that I, I didn't do more off the cuff when, when the wounds were fresh to, to, to bring some relief and, and bring some healing. And, and so this is, you know, we don't just be better late than never. So we're here and we're going to talk about it, um, and dive into this stuff and, and, and this mess, um, and yeah, we're going to talk about this as, as much as possible. Normally, I found myself talking about um, black uh, racism against the black community and 
I was going to say black racism, and that wasn't going to work very well. And <laughs> so racism against the black community. Uh, and today, uh, so we're talking about racism against the Asian American community and what that has looked like, especially over the last year uh, with the pandemic. So yeah, um, in on March 16, uh, 21-year-old, I'm not going to say his name, um, went to three different uh, spas around the Atlanta area, just two hours south of where I live and what? Two two hours, basically, from where you live, two and a half. Not super far from where you are. I'd say um, probably probably about three hours, depending it, on the yeah. time of traffic. But geography is weird. Um, I mean, we're we're both. I think you and me are almost the same distance from Atlanta, but it's a V. We're coming correct. two different sides of the mountains and coming down into Atlanta the other way. Yeah, there's no. Yeah, the direct routes are annoying. Um, both of us live in the two states that border Georgia to the north. Well done. Well done. Uh, 10 out of 10. Um, now we're all going south. Um, so eight, uh, eight people. Which is where were, he was going when they got him, I think. Yes. Wasn't he, actually, wasn't he driving to Florida? I think, yeah. He, I, yes. I don't actually know that detail. So I'm just going to go with a yes. But okay. um, 21-year-old goes to three different massage parlors and spas in the area, in the Atlanta area, shoots eight people, six of which were Asian, two were white. Um, and, uh, all but one of them were women and it, it actually, this is also sexism in this as well. Yeah. And I, I, I remember <laughs> seeing, I remember seeing just a tweet from, uh, someone was quoting the Atlanta police chief and as saying basically that the, the suspect after he was apprehended had uh, a this, really bad day. Yep. Had a really bad day. I remember seeing actually, that, but they, not they having the energy him. to to dive in to whatever was. Yeah. They they actually removed him as the public relations officer on the case. Go wow. Figure. That was the, that was the best PR move they could have made in response to that. So well done um, for removing him. Um, yeah. I, this one is, this, this is the perfect example, even, even if, right, like, even if it wasn't directly, he didn't, you know, yell out down with Asian Americans or didn't yell out some, some, you know, some stereotype or some racial slur or whatever. This is a perfectly, let, let's assume, let's just assume for the sake of argument that it was a really bad day, that he did this because he just had a terrible day. Okay. A terrible day based on horrible theology, but I want to swing back to that. Yes, well, yeah, and we will swing back to that, absolutely. Let's just, it is a perfect representation of the, of my entire argument about weaponized prejudice. That when you can have a completely unrelated stressor, if you have internal prejudices that exist, whether it's stereotypes, whether it's actual hatred, you know, like, like acknowledged inner hatred that you have toward a group of people, whatever. Uh, external stimuli will absolutely weaponize internal prejudice. And so even... Well, even, stress, stress reveals character. Exactly. And we that's, hate to say it, but when you are under stress, you don't have any time for fakery. What you are, or how you react to things will be at the surface because your brain goes into a like survival mode and is only keeping the basic things running. Yeah. And, that, and so... Even if it is a bad day, and he didn't outright, you know, yell out anything or say anything that 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 we would consider racist, like the act the alone. The fact that he found it an option to express correct. it that way correct. is concerning. Yes, correct. Um, let alone the fact that it's very rare that someone goes into custody after doing something like that and goes, "So yeah, this is why I did it exactly," and it's because I, you know, it. it there is a. So, there so is many issues in this is too, a real thing. because don't get me started again on the fact that again, a white shooter, they arrested him fleeing from the scene after he's like shot eight people and he's, he's already just arrested danger. like normal. Yeah. And they didn't blow his car up with 9 million rounds of yep. ammo. Anyway. Yeah. So, so many issues in this. Which by the way, we're not saying they should have. We're saying that they shouldn't have to other people. Just so uh, yeah, we're clear. That's, that's kind of just it's so like, we're well, clear. you were able you were able to handle it in that case. You could yep. probably handle it with a few others. Anyway, yes. Yeah. So yeah, Henry, um, initial reactions here and and you know, when you found out about this, how were you feeling and 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 what are your what are your initial thoughts on all of this? Well, honestly, the first I heard of it was an alert on my phone, because I have a news app for one of the news services and it 
it pinged up shooting in Atlanta. And I went, uh-oh. I mean, you know, my, my first thing is, and this sounds really bad. The first, whenever I hear an announcement of a shooting, the first thing I want to go is, how many people died? Because it's going to be in direct proportion to how bad this gets politically. And I know mm. that's really horrible to think that, but I, I, I do grow up in the South, and I, and I have no shame in telling people I, I grew up around guns, and, you know, I have my own thoughts about that as well. But so some of that's just kind of ingrained cultural guns come up. And I hate to say it, but the moment I hear guns, my first thought is, what does that mean about guns? And not, what does that mean about the people that just got shot? Mm. And, and so I, it was another teachable moment for me to be like, really, have I become so desensitized that I didn't even know how many people had been shot, why they'd been shot, who had been shot. But my, my first gut instinct was like, great, how does this impact me? And it was such a selfish way to respond to the news that it, 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 it upset me in that way. So I know that's kind of off topic, but I was just like, wow, really? That's how I, that's how I took that. So once I got over that, then I decided to click through the alert and was like, okay, what's going on? And found out, as they said, that they were, they were at the time the alert came through, they were still looking for the guy and they were talking about shooting up these, you know, spas in Atlanta and they weren't sure if it was a hate crime or not, or, you know, it was all the mm -hmm. initial police are looking for suspect, don't know who it is, what their ethnicity is, they, they don't know anything. And I remember just kind of checking back on it as the evening progressed, because it was like late afternoon or so when that shooting took place, I believe. And then they finally arrested the guy. And they were like, well, we're still looking at a motive. And that was it for the first day. And I think it was the next day that that whole big scandal kind of erupted with the officer giving the press conference who was like, yeah. well, he just had a really bad day. And I remember that dominating the news. And I just kind of remember shaking my head like, wow, that's an epic fail for PR. And, but the thing that finally was the reaction that finally made me pay attention to this story more was not just that they found out that it looked by all intents and purposes, more of a hate crime specifically because it targeted all of these Asian workers at the spas. But the thing that actually disturbed me most, and I kind of alluded to it before, was the next day, he, the guy was already talking in custody or mm -hmm. saying stuff through his lawyer or whatever. And he mentioned that he felt that the spas or the people in them or whatever were like a temptation. Like he was starting to use very Christian language yep. in his deposition. That was going to be the next thing I bring up. Yeah, so yeah, we're yeah, on the same page I, here. I, yep, I, yep. I, yeah. And he was like, they're a temptation. And so then the cops were like, well, it looks like he might have had a sexual fetish that he was trying to deal with or whatever. And again, not trying to go with stereotypes, but there is a stereotype for people that listen, whether it's the owner of the New England Patriots or whatever, that mm -hmm. some of these spas have side services of a sexual nature. And so any ignorant person or person that willfully ignorant or whatever could assume spas sex slaves, whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. We don't know yet. I still don't know if we know if he'd ever been to these spas before. It, it really is a moot point. The, the issue is, he said, that it was a temptation and he wanted to deal with it. Now, there's two ways I could take that. Like you said, the racist side, that they're a problem and he's going to deal with it. But the other thing behind it was a religiously charged language that could almost blur the line between it's not just a racial issue that maybe their race or what they do or whatever else is also an issue with God himself. And this person mm. was going to deal with it. And, and so I remember my initial reaction working in a church setting was terrified. Mm. I said, what kind of theology does this individual either believe, or I don't know if he's a believer or not. I don't know if he attended church or not. I just, I, those are beyond the scope of my knowing right now. I may never know, but the point is, at some point, he was at least exposed to a theology that made him think that, first of all, it's a bad understanding of temptation, but that mm -hmm. temptation is bad. I, I guess most Christians wouldn't deny that temptation is bad, but that people could therefore be bad or be the temptations, or that the deity, God, whoever you believe in, thinks it is good to not only just eliminate temptation, but eliminate people who you think are temptation, mm. or that snuffing out a life is somehow doing God a favor or doing society a favor, right? I, I guess the thing just evolved, my initial reaction was, this is a really nasty concoction of whatever's going on in this person's head. And it scares me to think that the church played some part in it 
somehow, and that we're now even seeing the infusion, which unfortunately we've seen in history before, racism and bad theology has often mixed and wed and held hands and moved forward to horrifying results in the South, in Atlanta. I mean, you know, let's, we could talk about the Jim Crow era. We could talk about, it, it just, it just was really sad. To me, it was just another pressure valve popping at a time in a state, and I say this is one who was born and raised in Georgia, so I'm going to tell on myself here. I wasn't born and raised in Atlanta by any means. I was in one of the other big A's in the state, Augusta, Georgia, down a couple hours to the east. Again, Atlanta and Augusta both uh, had Sherman march through them in the Civil War, this kind of thing. So, But I, I, I grew up in a state that I know that right now and even recently has been dealing a lot with race and politics and religious themes, and, uh, and and it just felt like our society is getting so amped up about so many things that now one unstable, under-pressure individual was letting off steam in a most inappropriate and tragic way, and it just mm-hmm. broke me. Man, I... Let me let me first speak to your 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 initial reaction to this about thinking about how does this affect guns, because guns are important to you, and um, I think there's a lot of us that especially over the last four years, have been kind of desensitized to major news headlines too, thinking, oh, great, here we go again. Oh, great, here we... Like, there's that cycle of already, like, conditioned within us. But but I do remember, um, as much as I've railed against purity culture and modesty culture, there is one thing that um, that I remember being being told as a guy that has stuck with me that I, you know, maybe there's some element of it that I haven't considered in order to, you know say that this is a bad thing, but I I really do think it's, so far it's been a good thing. And it's the idea that you can't always control the first look, but you can control the second. Uh, the idea being that, and I think this is true of reactions to, to some degree, of you can't always control what you do when you first encounter something. You know, I'm... Uh, within the context of purity, it's, you know, you see a billboard or a, you know, you see a magazine, something like that, you, or, or you're at, you're, you know, you're at the beach or whatever, right? You may turn your head or look up and see someone and you can't control the fact that you just looked up with no intent whatsoever and saw this and saw this person or saw this inappropriate thing. And it may not even be inappropriate objectively, but it's subjectively inappropriate because it's outside of the boundaries of what you have decided you want to see, Right. But you can control the second look. You can control whether you look again or whether you keep your eyes on them. Um, I actually think of a moment where this this happened in, in, within the context of reaction. But um, over Christmas, someone very close to me, uh, actually New Year's Eve, someone very close to me, uh, I was spending some time with them. And I got up to use the restroom and uh, heard, basically, I heard something thud in the room that I had just left. And as I came back to the room, I thought, and I heard some shaking, like some shuffling. And I thought that, you know, this person had just, um, this person had just dropped something and that caused like a cascade of things. And they were just like picking up some papers or books or whatever. And I came back into the room to that person straight up in the middle of a seizure. And, Mm. um, the, the shaking was the fact that they were literally laying prostrate across their chair and the folding table they were sitting at had caught their legs. And so the folding table was shaking. The thud was their mm. laptop falling off the back end of it. And I remember in the instant that I opened the door, I the first thing I did was yell their name. And the second thing I did within a second of saying their name the first time was already I was moving to catch them before they fell off the chair and lay them on their side, knowing what I know about taking care of people through seizures. Um, Firmly believe that that day and that evening, because of what I did, not for the first reaction, but for the second, right? Because there's the first reaction of me just saying their name, trying to process what's happening. And that second reaction within within a split second is me saying, something's terribly wrong here. I need to move and act. And it's that second reaction that I controlled. And I firmly believe that I saved that person's life that night. Um, and they would likely tell you the same. And it's, they're doing fine now, by the way. It was a malnutrition issue um, caused by stress, lack of sleep, 
you know, not eating well, a whole, whole concoction of, of, of stressors and things. But that's what I mean when I say, so your first reaction thinking about this is like, oh, great. How does this impact me? That is a first reaction. And I don't know. Yes, it speaks to how we can grow, right? There's always room for improvement in each of us. But, but I, I, I think this is an important thing to note of like, if that was, if your first reaction or your reaction up to this point has been one of negativity towards this, then it's not too late to change your mind. It's not too late to change how you react. It, it, and really what I want to say is now is the time to stop reacting and now is the time to start responding because response says, I'm going to take an, I'm going to take action um, instead of just, and, and make decisions about my action rather than uh, I'm going to make decisions about my action as dictated by what this stimulus was or what this event was. And so, um, yeah, I just want, you know, I think that's, that's significant. And I, I think the other thing that's telling when it comes to the South was the weekend after this happened, I, uh, the, it happened on March 16. I was down in Florida for, to celebrate my mom's 10 years of, of cancer remission. Um, another reason we didn't record on this immediately because we weren't recording we, were, we weren't recording that weekend and there yeah um the, we're trying to avoid what happened to me and and Henry last year which is we get way too burnt out on doing this um and driving back up on Sunday which was I guess March 21 I want to say um yes March 21 we were driving back up through Georgia from Orlando and I remember seeing every single American flag at half mast. And, um, because of, you know, natural, national, national mourning over, the, over this and something else that had happened that week, I believe. And then seeing countless more Confederate flags just, you know, strung up above the, the tree chops, uh, treetops and just flying, flying valiantly in the sky and, and in the wind and, um, and, and don't get me wrong. I know we don't put like other flags at half mast. I, you know, I don't want, I don't want to be too much in the era of symbolism, but, but this was just kind of a perfect representation to me of, of the general attitude of like, we may mourn as a nation, but we are proud as the South of who we, of, of, of whatever. And it's just so. Which is, which is interesting because it wasn't until the last year that I started seeing them making a comeback. There was really very few places I saw them anymore down here, and now they've all kind of reappeared. Oh no! I mean, I remember seeing them all the time. It's just that they've gone from being on on front porches and uh, the backs of trucks to being uh, to being just flown on major, you know, major sized, full sized flagpoles everywhere. Um, now, of course, if it's the one I'm thinking about, there is a guy. We're getting off topic here, but there is a guy in Florida, right, or in Georgia near the Florida border. That has like one of those like car dealership size flags right next to the interstate yep. with a Confederate flag hanging yep. off of it. That's like nine hundred feet long or whatever. Yep. I mean that's an exaggeration. Obviously, a flag would not be nine hundred feet long; it wouldn't fly. But my point is, it's one of those car dealership ones that like you can see for miles. I think the guy like bought that acre right next to the interstate and stuck it up. Yeah, I and think it's just as far like back as as far back as when Georgia was voting to change the flag in the early two thousands. Mm. I was still living in Georgia at the time when they changed it like five times mm. in a row, trying to figure out what they were going to make it look like. Well, so I was I was looking into some of this stuff um, kind of before uh, before we got together, and I was looking into a couple of different things for the general kind of count of different things that have happened to Asian Americans in regard to, um, in regard to racist incidents and racist, um, you know, just the rise of Asian American, um, yeah, the rise of Asian American racism or racism towards the Asian American community over the last year. And, and I found a study and I don't know what happened to the link. So I'm going to have to pull it back up here in a minute, but, um, there was a study done that showed basically there were 3,800, there's a nonprofit uh, that had 3,800 reported uh, incidents of... Um, Is that the Southern Poverty Law Center? Maybe. They track. Maybe. maybe. That's the major center down here that tracks racial incidents yeah. and things like I'm that. I'm trying to find... I have the actual study. I just have to get back to... I don't... I had it in my outline, like my copy of our episode outline, and I don't know what happened. I think I just like accidentally overwrote it. Um, so I have to... I have to pull it back up. But yeah, 3,795 incidents received by the... 
by the Stop Asian America and Pacific Islander Hate, AAPI, Hate uh, Reporting Center from March 19, 2020 to February 28, 2021. Now, let's, let's, let's be clear. This is just reported to a nonprofit, which means that, A, it assumes that... There's a lot more that are not reported. Exactly. It's kind of just like, uh, what is it, only 2 in 10 are, uh, reported uh, sexual assault cases are false, but that's of reported ones. And we're not even talking, yeah. yeah, you're not even getting close to the number that don't go reported. And it's the same deal. And none of these were ever reported to police by the nonprofit because it's not like that's not the, the their job. Um, it is. And, and I think it's an important thing for someone's story for them to be the one to report it if, if it's something that they want to do. Um, but 68% of those 3,800 were verbal, verbal harassment and 20% were shunning, uh, which is the deliberate avoidance of Asian Americans. Uh, 11% out of 3,800 or 3,795, so five off, um, 11% were physical assault. And then civil rights violations like workplace discrimination, refusal of service, 8.5% of the incidents, and then online harassment make up 6.8%. And women reported the hate incidents 2.3 times more than men. This is something that we have seen a, a significant rise in over the last year, but it's always been present. I mean, I think people were talking about and, Tina and Fey increasing. years ago for, or have been talking about her for a while because of Asian stereotypes that she portrayed in her writing in, in 30 Rock and in other, other older shows that she was a part of. Well, I, I'm trying to remember even in recent memory, I'm trying to think as early as 2018, and I'm trying to remember now what it was. I can remember in the city I was living in at that time, which was also in South Carolina, but it, it wasn't here. And I'm trying to remember there was a brief time as you've been talking, I remember there was a, there was some increasing Asian hate crimes or those being uncomfortable towards Asians for something. I can't remember if it was it seems like every time, and it's funny, pre-COVID, I mean, funny in the sense of humorous, the irony, not that it happens. It seems like every time there was like the SARS epidemic or mm -hmm. or any sort of virus that comes out, Asian Americans are always targeted because they're always like, you know, this is even before they started calling, you know, it China virus or the Wuhan flu or, or, or whatever with COVID, people have tended to be targeting in the last couple of years more and more Asians in general. Yes, um, you know, and stereotypes, and and to be fair, that this was another thought I've had since then. It wasn't my initial reaction, but one I've had to when I was being introspective, and I was already there being introspective. Why not keep being so? There's a lot of even growing up Asian quote stereotypes that I would participate in that I thought were okay. That I can see how it would be easy to start shifting them further down the nasty train and end up in some of this dumb stuff. I mean, I it was a really popular thing in the 90s. You always talked about the cliche, smart Asian kid in your class. Mm. I mean, I can remember talking in sermons, giving illustrations. There's this illustration I tried to give about graduation and how much effort you put in it or whatever, and I, was, I would use as an illustration. I was like, that really smart, nerdy Asian kid. And I remember a friend of mine at the time, this was the first time I thought about this, they came to me afterwards, they're like, couldn't you have just said smart kid? Mm. And I was like, well, yeah, but in our class, it was like this Japanese kid or whatever. And he was like, yeah, but did the moniker Asian really, was that really necessary? And I was like, but I was saying they were smart. But, but he's like, yeah, but why does it matter? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that's a stereotype too. And, and that's something I was reading, what was it, a New York Times article about this where they were talking about how Asian Americans for the longest time, even though they've been experiencing increasing racism we've ignored it because they were the quote good immigrants like they were the successful immigrant mm. story because they look mostly white they usually were studying themselves to the point where they're always doctors or lawyers or like high-end professions and they usually study english quite well because they're hardworking, right and so they would they would speak language as well and so everyone viewed them as the model immigrants right and so we've kind of just ignored their plight because we're like well, what? Uh, they're doing it right what does it matter Mm -hmm. And then in a moment, they can flip it this way. And I guess that shouldn't shock us because, you know, me being the history nerd that I am, it's not like only 75 years ago, 74 years ago, it's not even that long, within a generation. I mean, this country rounded up Japanese citizens in this country and put them in our form of internment camps 
again, because of suspicion of their looks or appearances or or, or their loyalties. You know, racism doesn't know a, a, a color and it doesn't know a ethnicity. It, it doesn't know boundaries, unfortunately. It will find a way when people want it to be. Mm. You know, I that reminds me of a story um, from college where I was in a class called Christian Spirituality, and it was taught by uh, Dr. John Nixon, who no longer teaches at the university, but um, super respected, has a great podcast on for, for you pastors out there on how to how to pre- a sermon prep um, and how he approaches um, exegeting texts and, you know, putting together sermons. So for the pastors out there, if you want to check that out, um, I'll, I'll throw a link down in the description for sure. But there, uh, I, he was going over the demographics of our campus and he was saying, you know, this percent white, this percent black, this percent Hispanic. And then he got, I think it was like 11%, um, it was 11% Asian and or Pacific Islander. And I remember in that class just saying something like, um, and that 11, I, I, I just spoke up because that's me being dumb and, and I have far too many insert foot in mouth moments in my life, but <laughs> so do I, he, uh, I, I said that and that 11% has the top 5% of, or is the top 5% of the students or something like that grade wise. And same thing. And I remember looking around and, um, just getting death glares from the rest of the class. Like I'd clearly spoken, I had said something bad. I thought I was being innocent and funny for the same reason, like, ah, they're smart. Um, but no, it was inappropriate. And I remember that teacher stopping right then and there and saying, now that's racist and never thinking of myself as racist. But that, that in that moment, he's like, that's inappropriate. And you shouldn't say that. It doesn't really matter if it's a good comment or a bad comment. Like that's not okay. And you know, your, your instance sticks out. My instance sticks out. And if you haven't heard the last episode we just recorded, uh, talking about how to influence people, uh, one of the one of the things that we mentioned was you are influencing people, and those small conversations are what are what a, to address internalized or internal biases and prejudices. Prejudices. That's what prevents those from ever being weaponized because we deal with them before they actually cause. Now, don't get me wrong. When they reveal each, when 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 a prejudice reveals itself, whether it's a you know positive one or negative one, um, positive in quotes, of course. Um, you know, it does cause damage. But what I'm specifically saying is um, those conversations help us deal with those prejudices before they take lives. And I'm not saying you and I, you know, would ever do the same thing that he did. But I also think, you know, this guy did in Atlanta. We were talking about this last time too, about character decisions. Correct. Little decisions now might have you ending up making decisions that right now you would never make, but you put yourself in a position to make them later. Correct. I mean, look at... I, I don't think the guy just woke up one day and was like, I'm taking a gun and offing people in spas. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it, 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 it's negligible to think even if he did, because either way, you still have to have a mountain of of small, smaller moments of prejudice that build you to that moment. So regardless of how intentional his decision was or how premeditated it was, there's still a lifetime of experiences that got him to that point where... And I'm not saying no one ever confronted him, but what I, and, and I'm not saying that it's not his fault because it is. What I'm saying is I just wonder how many people are prevented from ever and how many more people we could prevent from ever getting to that point by speaking up in the moments where someone reveals a prejudice and addressing mm-hmm. it in the moment. And what, what that professor did by calling me out in the moment was he protected Asian American students in that class and on that campus. And he said, I will not allow this in my classroom. And I apologized. And I was embarrassed. I felt shameful. And um, I have done my best ever since to avoid ever, you know, going down that road of, of stereotyping and, you know, whether positive or negative. And that was an important lesson for me. And it was one moment in a class, which, you know, you, would, you may think is negligible. But then you look at I, I found this story from NBC when they were talking about the 3,800. I, I went back and found the article. And uh, there was one Chinese-American woman who reported that a man on the subway slapped my hands, threatened to throw his lighter at me, and then called me a, um, well, I can't say the, the two words. They're beeped out. A, but, a bad term. Yes. And then he said to get the F out of NYC. Another woman who's Filipino-American reported that while in a, while in a D.C. metro station with her boyfriend, a man shouted Chinese B at her, coughed at the couple, and physically threatened them for just existing. And I have to think. Well, and yeah, go ahead. Sorry. 
Well, I was going to say, and it just reminded me again, I was talking about how in high, you know, high school, we always talked about the nerdy, quote, Asians. I remember by the time I hit college, they had it gone the other direction and they were sexualized. Mm-hmm. Not, not trying to get crude, but I, I don't know, because I know you're a few years behind me as far as age, not much. But I can remember when the big thing, when I was a freshman in high school in the early 2000s, everybody was like, ha you want an Asian woman. Mm. And if you don't know why that's the case, I'm not going to tell you because I'm not going to be crude. But my point is, you know, they were... There was that, you know, stigma as well, that that kind of stereotype that we were using even then. And it's these little things. At what point does, you know, I'm thinking about it now. First, this is me just thinking out loud, but first it in my lifetime, it was there were nerds. Mm-hmm. So it sounds positive, but you're, you're still, it's a them versus us. Then you're sexualizing. So they're becoming less human. They're more like, what does it do for me? And now we've reached a point now, like, you know, what are they doing against me because they just so happen to be from an area of the world where a virus came? Yeah. I, I you know. And, and it's usually, by the way, and I am in the South, whenever they talk about, quote, Wuhan flu or all this other stuff, fine. Yes, maybe it came from the Wuhan area. Yes, they're finding more research. And, and then, honestly, we'll never know because the Chinese Communist Party isn't really interested in us getting in there and finding out. Mm. And they may not even know. So let's also be fair. I'm not trying to be conspiratorial, but they, you know, now it's politics and they don't want to look any worse than they might. But my point is, even if it came from that area, usually the reason people bring that up, like, of course it would come from that area. They eat like roaches and crap out of their, you know, mm. food markets and wet markets and, and, and blah, blah, blah. And we don't phrase it in the sense of, wow, there, there's a group of people not following the best hygienic mm-hmm. whatever here. All right, we phrase it like, what kind of low-class kind of humanoid would eat these things or live that way? Or what? It's, it's another way of dehumanizing. Yeah. Right? And, and that's a dangerous slope when we keep shifting people into the next layer to the point of what happens when... I'm not trying to go that route where everyone's like, oh, they always, you know, move it to that point. But, I mean, again, it's just a... a it, it doesn't just have to be Nazism in the Second World War. It can be Pol Pot... It could be, you know, the Kilmer Rouge regime. There's all sorts of illustrations. So I'm not saying it has to always be a Nazi illustration, but it's always a point where people, the Rwandan genocide, what happens when you dehumanize people enough that your stereotypes escalate to the point where they're no longer human, which means you can do to them what you want. Yeah. That has always happened in history. You know, this makes me wonder. I My ADHD brain goes uh, down a million rabbit holes. I'm not going to explain how I got here, but I did get here because of you bringing up Paul Pot. Um, but I would be interested one day, Henry, and this is my official suggestion as an episode idea down the road of talking about what leads, does bad theology lead people to do terrible things or is it bad people, hold on, or is it bad people justifying and twisting theology to do bad things or is it a both and? So, um, but I want to dive into (laughs) that topic a lot more, uh, a lot more in depth one of these days. This isn't the episode Mark that down. This is is a sneak peek for everybody. We will cover that. I'm saying now the vote is yes. Both of us, that's a hundred percent vote. We will cover that at some point. I think that that'll be an interesting conversation, but I, you know, I, I, to take what you're saying one step further, in addition to dehumanizing, I'm also seeing a complete rejection of experience. And and we've seen this with Black Lives Matter. We've seen this in in other places too, in in, in other uh, with other minority groups in response to racism. But you know, one of my one of my closest friends, um, not you, Henry. Um, oh, he is married to. Well, maybe not. Uh, because this, <laughs> I don't know the story is. Um, he's he's married to an Asian woman, and he's a pastor. And while he's done some amazing work in his church, um, especially in the, in, in regard to race, um, one of the things out of, you know, coming out of this that he's experienced and that his wife has experienced is she is legitimately afraid of, uh, of their church members and of, of going to church. She doesn't want to be around them because so many of those members have just outright dismissed this is racism. Outright dismissed it as like, this wasn't a hate crime. He didn't say anything. There's no evidence for it. Um, it, it Do you have to have a billboard? To I know, prove I know. I, don't, get me, don't get me started because it's the same people that would say it's that like, they're convinced it, it, that Obama is, is Muslim born in, born wherever, even though we've shown a birth I mean, certificate. My, my thing with this is, do you, do you expect the devil to show up with a sign around his neck saying, worship me, I'm yeah, the devil? Yeah, it gets I mean, me. Yeah, yeah. It, it gets me every time. But like, it is so frustrating to me that we're still at a point that ha- we even have to convince people that this is a thing. 
And they've when you combine dehumanization with the rejection of experience, it's just kind of like it just is the 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 straw that breaks the camel's back. And it's outright despicable to me. I don't fathom how you can honestly look at someone else experiencing this kind of pain for just who they are, just literally just their existence. And you could say to them, it's not real, it's in your head, and just try and gaslight them. And then to do that on a societal level and say this entire group of people is is doing this. Now, let me be clear, because you'll see me doing something along the lines, uh, you know, something similar when it comes to talking about um, anti-maskers and anti-vax. But I think there is a difference between someone being you know, being told their experience, their lived experience isn't real, uh, when it's literally their skin. There is no changing it. There's no belief that can change. There is there's nothing, nothing they, can do, they can do. And by the way, there's nothing they should have to do because they're fine. They're great. They're, they're beautiful just the way they are, just like you and me. Anyone is. I, I will admit one of the best, if there's any government people listening, which I don't know why they would, but, you know, if you are, one of the best ad campaigns I saw from the public ad council a couple of years ago was one of those signs where at first you, you saw like two chest looking x-rays with like two hands in, and, the, and it was just like x-rays showing two rib cages looked exactly the same. And then coming off the side of the plate of the x-ray was a white arm and a black arm, and they were holding hands or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was something along the lines of, like, absolutely the same beneath it all. Uh, and that's that's always, that's always yeah, you know. I, I have such mixed feelings about because I like the... I, well, I like well, and the, that's also true because because then it, then people use that as an excuse to, de- to ignore people's experiences. Correct. Now and it's the, the idea of, of your color doesn't matter. We're all the same underneath. What it should be I'm is... I'm colorblind. What yeah. it should be is a way... Well, it's intended to, to convince the people who see them as different to say like, hey, actually, there's not... There, there isn't difference here in value. Um, but it has the... But it, it, it gets taken advantage of as... It's kind of like the old joke. This is really dating myself. Anyone remember the Colbert show? I, I remember uh, an episode that he had where he literally made a, a joke. And anyone that remembers that show, he would he was living a certain personality. And the things he said were really to get you to think how dumb it was. And one of the things he used to say is, I don't see color. People tell me I'm white and I believe them. Nice. But that's so, and that's, know. that's the Colbert, like that's the, that is Colbert's character. And I, and yeah, and I think there are, Comedians are needed um, because they're of their ability to to bring humor as a commentary into into the you know into the political world into the the cultural world um, because it, it is a way it is a form of speaking truth to power um, and yeah comedy is needed for for that but I, I I do think that there is I do think that I actually I made this decision a long time ago that I'm just kind of done trying to convince people that that X, Y, or Z is racist. That I don't believe that that's necessarily, like, w- when I say is racist... It's like playing whack-a-mole? Correct. Like, I don't... When I say is racist, I don't mean in normal conversation, if you say something, I'm not going to be like, hey, that was racist. I'm willing to have that conversation. What I mean is I'm done wasting time on a podcast or a YouTube channel or just in a general conversation with someone to convince them that X incident was racist. Or that why incident was racist. Okay. If if you are on that level of denial, I am not the person that's meant to reach you there. And if you decide to stay in that level of denial, and this is the most this is the thing that's important to me is is this idea. Cause because my friend who's who's pastoring this church is actually seeing a, a small exodus of people who are choosing their racial biases and and their their racism essentially. Um, in over being members of that community any longer. They're, they're feeling that, that they, they maintain that they aren't racist um, while they proceed to do racist things every single day. And this is where I always say malice does not care about intent. And the bottom line is, this is where I'm fine with those people leaving that community. This is where I'm fine with those, with, with those people leaving because it means a safer space for others that need that place right now. And outside of it, it means that, you know, when, when it comes to people who are in that boat, um, anytime that we accept 
without confrontation, without correction, without any sort of, you know, without any sort of, uh, of, of pointing them in the right direction. We're affirming that we are reinforcing a prejudice. And, um, but anytime we tell them, no, if they keep choosing their, you know, to live the way they are and they keep getting rejected, eventually there comes a point where they go, Hmm, there's no one else around. You know, I, maybe, maybe, maybe this is inappropriate. Everywhere I've gone has said, this isn't okay. Maybe I really am, you know, and there's just a chance that that happens. Or they just actually go hang out with all the other people Correct. who think the same That's way. The, but, the, yes. You know, now, now, now I'm a militia group in the middle of the woods somewhere. Correct. But my point is... <laughs> Correct. But, I, they I mean, choose, is a, but they choose this, right? But they choose it. They choose yeah, this. And, it, and, it's, and this comes the segue because I was going to say, as we're starting to hit the tail end of, of this time together, uh, the question then comes, okay, so what is one supposed to do about this. I know we've kind of hit on a lot of issues that if any of you noticed, we started talking about the shooting and now we're everywhere, but because there's so many issues that it just speaks to, this wasn't an isolated incident. Mm -hmm. There's just so many things that are welling up between it. And, and I'm sure some of the answer to this is in things we've already discussed on past absurdity episodes. I mean, we could talk about again, using your influence. You're giving us another example of use your influence in your environment. I guess I would ask, is there anything more concretely maybe as a society or as people of faith? Like, what what should be our response to issues like this when it comes to, I mean, let's just narrow it down. We can talk about racism in general. I'm sure that will come up because, unfortunately, the way the world is, I'm sure we'll have plenty more illustrations we get to talk about these issues, unfortunately. But, but just sticking with our Asian-American community— or, or even Asians that are visiting, whatever. It doesn't have to be Asian-American. But the, the point is, for those who, their life experience has been Asia, mm -hmm. from the East, you might say, and all the beautiful things that do come from those societies and, and, and experiences and all of that. What, how should we as people of faith, how should we as Americans, how should we be addressing this right now? Do I just do the typical thing of the flags went at half mast and I, I put a mm -hmm. social media hashtag up and then it just dies down. And now I'm distracted again because there's a trial going on about the, I can't breathe episode up in, you know, mm -hmm. so yeah. now, now we, now we, now we've swung immediately, which by the way, side note, I didn't think about it until just now. This is another illustration. Again, everyone was worried about Asians until black lives matter issue came back in front and they got ignored again. Cause they're the quiet minority, right? Cause they're the good immigrants that just don't complain. Yeah. I hear a lot of that too. Well, they don't out there protesting and whatever. Well, maybe that's just not what their societies tend to do, but that doesn't make it any less worthy of our attention. Uh, but they're being distracted again. I haven't heard a lot about this issue already, and it was only like a week or two ago because now we're back into trying to deal with Black Lives Matter issues from the summer yeah, and the spring. So, you know, when it comes to the moment where the spotlight moves away from it, what are we supposed to do? That was a really long segue to ask a really simple question. No, 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 I think that's fair. And I do think that actually that makes me think that this is a really good time to be posting this episode just because of the Derek Chauvin case um, starting and um, the constant need for reminders that Derek Chauvin is the one that is on trial, not George Floyd. Uh, just just general reminder whenever yes, because, you see them try to pivot. Dead. Correct. Well, no, because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of there's a, you know, there's a lot of things that are gonna be come out to try and justify. Oh, it's always it's always the way they do in defense yep. cases where they go, Yeah, but he but deserved this guy it. was a druggie yep. or he gave a fake twenty dollar bill or what yes. well, okay, but he's not on trial. And by the way, he didn't get a trial, he was just killed. Correct. Um so, which we've come full circle well, back to a suffocated. comment earlier. Yes. And 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 so yeah. um you know, I think this comes back to um, back to a small soapbox I've I've been on on and off over the years of um, kind of a problem with how we preach from the Bible, and the problem with this, uh, the, the or the problem that I've seen is it it happens repeatedly enough that we condition ourselves to think this way. But we talk about Moses, we talk about da uh, David, we talk about Daniel, we talk about Jesus, we talk about Peter. We talk about Paul and we try and glean all of these lessons from them. And we, we basically preach to our members that they should, they should seek to be like these people and that they're calling. We, we convince members, whether we say it or not, we convince Christians all the time that they are supposed to have some grand calling. But for every Moses, there are 600,000 Israelites that are following. You know, for every David versus Goliath, 
there's a bunch of Israelites cowering on the sidelines, watching, watching David fight the battle for them. And we never talk about what it means to follow. We never talk about what it means to not be the hero, but to be a stranger in the story. And so we talk about what do we do on a societal level or what do we do on, on these grander scales? And all I want to do is zoom in and say, hey, not all of us are going to be able to do anything on the grander scale. Not all of us are. Side note, this is another yeah. episode topic. Oh, yeah. But not all of us are called to do to take the huge platform and to take the megaphone and, and, to, and, and to say something out loud like that. But every single one of us, whether you're a Dan, you know, whether you're one of the heroes or, which by the way, at that point, everyone is a hero. But well, this is the yes. book of Judges in yep. a nutshell. Absolutely. Where everyone did what was right in their own eyes yeah. and there was no God in Israel, which that's the problem in the book. It's not just the messed up Samsons and Gideons yeah. and But what I but know. what I'm saying is don't wait for the big calling to start working. That's what I'm trying to say here. Is don't don't wait or don't think that just because you weren't you you have don't know what to do in a big way doesn't mean you shouldn't do anything at all. And if the most that you do because the most that you have opportunity to do is to speak up when it happens in front of you, then that's what you've been called to do. And the big calling you have is to is to transform someone else's life because you were brave enough and bold enough to speak truth when it mattered. And that like to me that is the most important thing any of us can do. And I think of countless times, even within the last several years where I have failed at that, whether it was because I was too stressed on my own in the moment or I didn't feel like it was the appropriate place as if there's ever an appropriate place for that. Um, sometimes you just get so shocked by the comments or so shocked by something that happens in front of you, you kind of freeze up too. There are moments where that happens. And I'm not saying beat yourself up for the times that, that you didn't do it right. What I'm saying is resolve now to speak truth in those moments and use the influence that you do have in normal everyday conversation with in relationship with the people close to you to confront racism when it appears, especially against the Asian American community within, you know, within the context of this episode. But I think it's, it is up to us on an individual level to make those decisions and to actually speak up in those moments. So that's, I, I want to zoom in and really highlight that. I do think that there are things we can do on a societal level too, but I really want to zoom in on the individual behavior because nothing changes on the societal level without individual change. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess my response would be to take it one rung up, and again, not society-wide, but corporately as people of faith, as, as faith communities, this is where the church is called to create the safe environment for understanding. Yep. Even if it's understanding something that we as a whole think is not worth supporting or is gross or whatever else, this is one thing I wish the church would be. We were supposed to be the environment where all these different groups intersected. And what I mean by that is in wider society, normally you hang out with people that like what you like and don't like, and now we're at such a polarized way, I read only the same news sources and hang out with the people that only do that and hang out with the same social media networks and whatever. We're filtering and filtering and filtering, and we don't, we don't rub shoulders anymore with anybody that, like, like when I was growing up pre the internet and everything, and this isn't the internet's fault, I don't want it to sound like, aha, see the 21st century, it's not that, but... It's just facilitated a greater ease. We still had things in society that forced me to interact with people I didn't agree with or came from different experiences mm. of me, whether that was a greater reliance on the public school system, where there's a whole lot more charter and private schools now, uh, you know, whatever. I, I grew up in a smaller community where you only had the public school. There wasn't another option. So everybody was in there no matter what. Or, you know, you had experiences like that or everybody had to go to the library. Well, anybody's allowed in the library or, or, or whatever. Or everyone went to public pools or whatever else. You interacted with people. Now we have gated communities and whatever. And not, not saying that any of these things are bad by themselves or new. But I'm just saying our society at a time where it's reaching more and more polarization, I think this was one of the unsung blessings of faith communities that we've lost sight of. And that the whole idea behind the family of God or the faith community was now you take a whole bunch of people that wouldn't get along normally and have nothing in common with each other, but they now all share a faith in common. And now, for whatever reason, either they're not forsaking themselves, assembling together, or whatever their particular belief, they have to meet together at some point. They, they, the, the religious experience draws them into connection with one another for at least an event mm -hmm. once a week or something. And, and if you ever wondered why churches seem to be a place with tons of conflict, it's because a lot of these people now have to deal with people that aren't like them for the first time in their week. 
right? Or, or whatever, without the benefit of work, and I have yep. to put up with them because I'm getting paid. And, and for me, the church should have been the environment, the faith community should be the environment where we have access, hopefully if we're doing it right, to Asian Americans and Black Americans and white Americans and Pacific Islanders and whatever, you know, you you pick, hopefully Hispanics, everybody's there. Yep. But we should be the community because we we have a transcending belief in a new earth being put right, you know, in God having a different plan than just what we see all the way around us to say, okay, this is going to be the community where we just establish something as simple as listening sessions, which nobody knows how to listen anymore. That's again, kind of going back to your point about, you know, the 600,000 just sitting there Mm -hmm. and, and Israel, what would happen if we had environments set up where we went, okay, this week or whatever, we're going to take five or six API members of our church and they're going to sit up here and the congregation's going to come and the congregation's job is to stay quiet for 30 minutes while we just let these five share their experiences and what's concerning them, no judgment, even if we totally disagree with what they're saying or think they're not reading into the situation right, hear where they're coming from. And then you turn and you flip it and go, now we have 30 minutes for people Mm -hmm. to give their opinion, and the other side's going to be quiet. And if nothing else, at least get out in the open what we're dealing with. Yep. Because you can't be understood until you're heard. And we're not very good at hearing. And the problem is, is that people will need, we have an innate need as humans to be heard. And if we can't get it in safe environments that, like you said, will challenge us to be better than we are, then we will get heard in environments that are probably not so healthy on the dark web, on certain chats, on certain social media platforms. We will get heard maybe in an environment where no one's going to challenge us. In fact, it's all the unheard people got together Mm -hmm. and we're just spewing our hate in a circle to each other and further validating where we're at. And it's, it's the wrong thing. So I guess my point is I would love to see us corporately begin to, and it's not going to be popular, I can already see it, and it's going to be difficult, but we need to start facilitating the difficult process of hearing one another. Because once both sides are heard and we get that out in the open, then we can at least go, okay, where's the problems on both sides? Where's the issues here? Can we start one at a time picking at these issues? You know, you don't have to hit all 25 at once, but where, where's what's the first step? All right, let's work on this. Yeah, Is it dehumanizing? Maybe. Is it legacy of the Jim Crow era? Maybe. Is it, you know, if nothing else, like I said, even like this conversation, which we hope is is happening for those of you guys who are listening with us, is we're having this journey together. Uh, facilitating introspection. Because how many of us, like I said, our first instinct was like me. It's like, oh, how does this impact me or whatever? And we go off on some, the the noise of the event, the noise of society takes over, and I don't spend any time really figuring out what's going on or why I react the way I do. Mm-hmm. That only can come from safe environments to listen and to be heard. Yeah. And we need to facilitate I just, that. I, I agree with you. I also have a huge asterisk on my agreement. Uh, not because I I do. I agree <laughs> yeah. with everything you've said here. I, I really, really do. I just also know that people of color, th- this is something I hear quite often of like people of color have been shouting for years about this. And they've held listening sessions. I, in fact, I remember going to, after the Keith Scott shooting, to uh, a, a, a one of the larger uh, regional conference churches in Charlotte, which is a, which is a conference in, uh, regional conference is just a, just a, 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 a level of, uh, it's a level of church organization. Thank you, organization. I want to say authority. I'm like, that's not right. Uh, but church organization in our denomination. But it was a, it was a, bl- a predominantly black church. Um right after the Keith Scott shooting in Charlotte. And it was a kind of a time of, there was a panel discussion. There was from, from, from church administration, there was a listening session, there was an open mic and just a prayer time as well. Um, and I was outside of some, outside of a couple of church administrators, I was the only white person in the room and the only white pastor in the room. And that was really telling to me because this was very well advertised in the area and none of even, and I drove from further than some of my colleagues that, that lived within 15, 20 minutes of the church. And I drove an hour um, to show up. And I'm not even saying like, oh, I did so much there. I'm just saying like, we're not showing up where the listening sessions are happening. But number two, there's something to be said about like putting them in the same room as those who would spew hatred and otherwise. Like, in other words, w- like the listening sessions have to come with a pretty, pretty hard caveat of like, 
are we really going to make... It still has to be safe. Correct. Are we really going to make people of color sit there and listen to perspectives that they've already known as have existed in 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 the case of a long long-standing community in those members forever? Do I really have to sit there and listen to this again and listen to them spew the same crap at me every single day, you know, that they do every week? And... Um, there is something to be said about safe and what safe actually looks like. And I think to, right. to get there, there has to be a lot of addressing and a, there, there's some weeding out that has to happen even prior uh, because there are some people that you know will show up there that aren't there to listen. They're only there uh, to spew more hatred. To spew. And yeah. those are the people that have to be weeded out first. And so, yes, there's a lot of prep work that goes into that, whether, you know, from preaching, from one-on-one conversations. And it's conversations. not easy, which is, yep. which is why people aren't doing it. And then, of course, the flip side, I would agree with you there, adding a bigger asterisk to what I already said and, and what you just said, is they're also, it's one thing to facilitate them. It's yeah. another thing not to act on any of it. And yes. if you just keep having listening sessions and go, look how good we are, we're listening. Well, you obviously haven't heard if it doesn't move you again as a person of faith to mm-hmm. act on it at all. So there's going to have to be yes, listening sessions. And I know that's part of where, like you said, I can totally see where you're coming from and go, yeah, but we've sat through those before and they just further violated us because we had to be vulnerable and then still nothing happened. So all you're doing is further crushing our hope and in, in the ability for change. There's going to have to be some sort of sacrificial agreement. Maybe this is the little nuances that we as individuals in our local faith communities have to really sit down and make. And that is, okay, if we have this listening session, there has to be some agreement before it happens that if the oppressed community, if the hurting community subjects themselves to this experience yet again, that there is some sort of commitment ahead of it happening that something will be done. Mm-hmm. One thing out of this thing will be done. So there has to be some yeah. promise of something will actually take place for this sacrifice. If you are a church yeah. leader wanting to do, a sun, suddenly wanting to do a listening session, but you have never spoken out against racism when it's shown up in your church, whether that's in a, you know, a service or a, you know, Sunday school or Sabbath school or, you know, just a prayer meeting, whatever, whatever it is, normal conversation at potluck or, you know, church events, um, if you've never done anything in any of those moments to protect people, then your listening session, quite frankly, means nothing. It's literally just, ver- it's just you making yourself feel better. And that's why I say it's just a public step to be like, look, we did our thing. We're woke. Mm-hmm. The, the, the first thing I could say is like church leadership has to get on the same page with this stuff, which means the hard work of figuring out the temperature of the room within your church leadership and then figuring out the temperature of the room for your church members. And that does require a lot of one-on-one conversations to figure out where everyone is within your best estimation and, and, and you know, as a leader um, to figure out the next steps because you need to know who's who in this. It's not sides. That's why it's not on who's, you know, who's on what side. It's more just who's who, where everyone is in their own journey uh, so you can figure out what that kind of what that kind of journey would actually look like. But you've got to do a lot of private work before you can get to the place where this becomes a public hearing, you know, a, a public listening session, a public hearing, a uh, public listening session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what yeah. you meant, which is why Ryan's advice should be first. Mine should be Correct. second. And that's why, like, and I'm not trying to take anything be, yeah. away from what you've said. I just want to, I, I don't want to just make everyone rush and do something that will actually cause more damage if they haven't done any of the proper prep yeah. work. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a layer to this. This is why we let Ryan talk first about the individual work. Then all those individuals make a community, and that community yeah, does right. work. <laughs> and then when those communities do that work, then society can do a yes. work. Um, absolutely. So, um, hey, I want to thank everyone for listening and for being a part of this. And I will say, all of our Patreon, uh, all of our patron donations this month are actually going to go to uh, going to go to an Asian American. Uh, charity, essentially. Um, I haven't decided which yet, but if you're curious and listening this far into the episode, it'll be in the show notes whenever I whenever I decide on it. And if you are someone who's Asian American, Pacific Islander, who's listening to this and you would love to come on and, and share your experience and your stories, we'd love to hear you. Uh, so please reach out. Um, uh, email is in the show notes as well. Um, or DM me on Instagram, DM Henry, whatever, whatever needs to happen there. But let us know. We would love uh, to hear from you and to hear your story uh, from you know, from your eyes and from your lived experience. So we're just, we're just two, uh, two white guys, uh, chilling and I'm, you know, for all intents and purposes, I am white. So we're just two white guys chilling here doing the best we can, but I want, I would love to 
uh, really amplify your voice and and help other people understand your journey as well. So if there's anyone out there who who does want to share, I I'm I'm all for we're, we are all for it, uh, absolutely. And we'll get you on expedited. Uh, we will get you on this show if you are if you're if you're willing to share. So uh, with that, Henry, uh, any final thoughts before we close out? Just thank you to all of our Asian Pacific Islander listeners and beyond for being patient with us. We're sorry that you're going through a really, for lack of a better term, sucky experience and have been even before this. And, you know, we appreciate your support, your patience, your assistance, your reaching out to us, your, your helping us do the work we can in our limited spheres of influence to uh, make you... Well, not make, because that, that's another bad choice of phrase. You're already, to to help you experience the equality you already have, but you have been denied in many ways in the society. So we want you to know that we love you as best that we know how, and we're open to learning to love you better yeah. as, as time moves on. So Absolutely. Um, I agree with I agree with Henry there. We are sorry. And I am sorry that this the first time we're talking about this topic at length is 151 episodes into this show. Um that that's something that I have to personally reckon with because I've been with this show since the beginning and never talked about this specifically. Um, and I'm sorry that it took this kind of tragedy for us to get there. So I, you know, I want to apologize for that personally myself. Um, and I am committed to doing better there. And I, and I do want to uh, feature this stuff more. And, you know, I don't want to let my own guilt and shame over that stop me from saying something that's important and talking about an important topic. So we're going to keep moving forward um, because I believe that's the best way to make that right is to move forward. Um, and talk about it when you know what you've done and when you know what to do next. So it will be a topic that that shows up from time to time uh, here on out um, the same way that others do. And we'll revisit it for sure. So yeah, thank you all so much for listening, for being on this journey with us. We appreciate you and uh, you can check out uh, ways to support us. And um, we encourage you to donate to the same charity that, that we're donating this month's uh, Absurd Podcast Network funds to or, you know, patron donations to as well. So um, yeah, check all of that out. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. 